0: the teaching of god's word and now with today's message here is our teacher
1: during operation iraqi freedom some of our soldiers in iraq went into a tiny little village and they were giving away clothing to the iraqi children school kids from our country had gathered together all of their old clothes so our soldiers were handing it out to the kids And you could tell right away that the kids were thankful. I mean, they were grateful. It was a good moment. But then it got better. Why did it get better? Because then they opened up a bag full of stuffed toys and began passing them out to the kids. They'd never seen anything like this before, and all kids like toys. I love toys. Toys are just awesome. And it was a way to show kindness. It was a way to show love in the middle of a very difficult, difficult situation. But then the next day came and a convoy out on a security patrol after they left their base camp. They were driving by this same village where just a few days, just a day before, they were giving out clothes and toys. And they were coming down the road, and the the convoy saw off in the distance, in the middle of a road, they saw it look like a person, not moving at all, but just standing there still. As the convoy got closer and closer, they noticed this person was standing in the same spot and would not move. And the convoy stopped, and they used their binoculars to scope out, and sure enough, there, standing in the middle of the road, was a little five-year-old girl girl who had been part of the group from the day before. She was standing in the middle of the road hugging a stuffed animal. Well, this patrol, they didn't know what to do at this point. As they approached and as they got closer, she just stood there. She stood still hugging that stuffed animal. So they radioed their base. They radioed their command looking for instructions. It could have been a trap. It could have been a setup for a sniper. It could have been a roadside bomb. Their command radioed back and told them to just go around the little girl. So very slowly, very carefully, that's what they did. The convoy continued on and this little girl, she would not budge. She stood in the middle of the road, hugging this little stuffed animal. But as that convoy went around, this girl, They saw exactly why she was standing in the road. You see, this little five-year-old girl was standing in front, directly in front of a landmine that had been planted the night before. She was standing there to try to protect these soldiers. She was expressing her love to them because they had first shown love to her. Well, as believers in Jesus Christ, we must know that the words of 1 John 4 are true, that we love him. Why? Because he first loved us. But this love is the driving force behind everything we do in the body of Christ. This love, it motivates us and enables us to make a difference in the lives of others. In Acts chapter 11... We find the first century church learning these lessons all over again because we have Jewish believers, Jewish followers of Christ, struggling with this idea that the Gentiles could actually receive the gospel of Christ. Luke has recorded some of this before in chapter 10, first time, as it happened, and then he recorded some of it as Cornelius retold it. So when Peter kind of retells it to the believers in Jerusalem, Let's just kind of skip across it a little bit and we'll hit the highlights and the new information that Luke gives to us. But notice how we begin in chapter 11. Now the apostles and brethren who are in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him saying, you went in to uncircumcised men and ate with them. Word of the events from chapter 10, had made its way to the believers throughout Judea. The rest of the apostles had heard But by the time we get to verse 2, we see that a problem came up at Jerusalem. As Peter headed there, it was a group of Jewish believers who contended with him because he had eaten with the Gentiles, not understanding that the work of God, that's one thing, not understanding what God is doing is one thing, but to contend with Peter because he'd gone into the home of a Gentile because Peter had eaten with Gentiles. These don't seem like the actions of believers rooted and grounded in love. But why did they react this way? Why did they respond this way? Well, put yourself into their mindset. Jewish Christians still saw the Christian faith as a movement within the Jewish faith. And so they had this mindset that in order for a Gentile to become a follower of Christ, they first had to convert to the Jewish faith. And their problem really didn't go away as time went on, did it? In Acts 14, Barnabas and Paul had made their way back to Antioch, and they told the church that God had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. But look at what happened in Acts 15. It says, and certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Major problem major problem. These men were teaching faith in Christ plus circumcision for salvation. But faith in Christ plus anything, that's a false gospel. So take a look at verse 2. Therefore, When Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. Now we're going to be right back in this text in a few weeks, but for now notice what Peter said to the rest of the apostles and elders gathered together. And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us, and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. What was Peter saying with this phrase, purifying their hearts by faith? It's another way of saying that they are cleansed by saving faith in the blood of the Lamb. Now, therefore, it continues, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they Then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. Now let's remember that this is years after chapter 11. And the issue, it was still there. It was not going away at all. Peter told them that God had settled this years before with the salvation of Cornelius. This issue should have been over long before chapter 15 but it wasn't because sometimes issues don't die in churches. Back now in our text in chapter 11, Peter had stayed in Caesarea for a few days, but while he was there, somehow word had actually made it back that those hated Gentiles, they had now received the word of God, the words of the gospel of Christ. Verses two and three, We see that the contention arose with some of the circumcision because Peter had gone in and he had eaten with those Gentiles, meaning Peter had fellowship with them. He had accepted them because they were followers of the Lord Jesus Christ and these Jewish believers, they were outraged at this. Their anger was not about the preaching of the gospel, and they were not upset about baptism in the name of Jesus. They were offended because Peter had taken part in breaking down the barriers between Jews and Gentiles. And if Jews and Gentiles were now on equal footing before the Lord, Peter had just taken part in removing the very thing that they took pride in. This was the thing that they took pride in. And they were waiting for him. He got ambushed and they made sure that he heard about it the minute he got into town. And the tragedy of this passage is that these Jews were not more concerned about the lost condition of the Gentiles. The idea here in verse 2 that they contended with him, it comes from the wording to make a difference. You see, these legalists were making a difference between Jews and Gentiles. And Peter told them that when it comes to salvation, when it comes to the body of Jesus Christ, there is no difference. And with verse 4. Peter begins to explain to them the events of chapter 10 but down in verses 10 and 11 we get some new information. Peter was told three times that what God had cleansed he should not call common because there'd be three Gentile men standing at the gate. Notice what he says in the first part of verse 11. At that very moment three men stood before the house where I was. But Peter wasn't on his own. The Spirit of God was leading him the whole way. And verse 12 says that six brethren went with him. Six Jewish believers were with Peter, and they went with Peter to Caesarea. Peter had witnesses to testify of the gospel reaching the Gentiles. Skip down in your Bibles, if you would, to verse 14. Peter's retelling now the words of the angel to Cornelius. In reference to Peter, take note of what the angel said to Cornelius, who will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. You see, chapter 10 only told us that Cornelius knew Peter would speak to him. We didn't know all the information, but now we begin to understand why Cornelius had been so eager to hear these words from Peter. Now we understand why Cornelius had gathered together all his friends and all his family. Peter would bring to them the words of life. And as the Holy Spirit fell upon them, notice what Peter says in verse 16. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, How he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. George Young, he was a carpenter and a little-known preacher in the 1800s. And George spent his life humbly serving the Lord in small country towns. And times were often hard for him. And through all the ups and downs, though, George and his wife, they, they never wavered in their faith at all. But after a long time, the family was able to move into their own small home. George had actually built it himself. But later, when George went away to preach, men who hated the gospel of Christ, I mean, they just hated the gospel, they came and they set fire to his home. And their home was totally destroyed. But it was out of that experience that George was moved to write the hymn, God Leads Us Along. Some of you actually know the words. In shady green pastures, so rich and so sweet, God leads his dear children along. Where the water's cool flow bathes the weary one's feet, God leads his dear children along. You know this part. Some through the waters, some through the flood, some through the fire, but all through the blood. Some through great sorrow, but God gives a song in the night season, in all the day long. You see, God most certainly will lead us along in life. And what this is, what we see right here with Peter, God led him to Cornelius, the spirit of God led him in verse 12 and the direction he was headed matched. Hear me on this. The revelation of the Lord, it matched the words of Christ in verse 16, meaning that Peter wasn't claiming that God was leading him in a direction contrary to the revealed word of God. Do you hear that? Because we hear people all the time today say, God's leading me this way, even though the word of God says something completely opposite. This was his message to the men in Jerusalem. God had led him down this path. Take a note of how Peter handles this situation. Jewish believers are upset with him. They're upset with Peter. And rather than defend himself, he sticks to the work of the Lord and the truth of what had taken place. He told them that it was just like for the Jewish believers in the beginning. It was just like Pentecost. Pentecost. And in verse 16, Peter remembered the word of the Lord. These are the very words of Christ, actually, from Acts chapter 1, before the ascension of Christ. When Jesus told them to wait for the promise of the Father, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now learn the lesson here while we're in this text, that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a gift from God. The Holy Spirit of God comes when a person is redeemed in Christ. It is a testimony of redemption. The baptism is a once and for all act where Christ places believers in the care and safekeeping of the Holy Spirit until the day that Jesus comes back. If the Spirit of God is not present, then there has been no salvation. And Peter makes this exact same conclusion in verse 17. If therefore God gave them the same gift as He gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? Peter's saying, hey, don't argue with me, don't look at me, argue with God. Opposing the Gentiles, being a part of the body of Christ, it would have been a clear opposition to the Word of God, to God's will. Peter's defense, it didn't rest on what He Himself had done, Peter's defense rested on the work of God the Holy Spirit came to the Jewish believers at Pentecost, and now the Gentile believers were receiving this same gift. They got the message. These Jewish believers, they got the message. Look at verse 18. When they heard these things, they became silent. God's truth does that, doesn't it? It silences people. They became silent, it says, and they glorified God saying, then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. You see, these Gentiles had turned away from the mindset of trying to be able to be good enough to earn their own salvation, turning towards Christ in faith. These words could not be more important. If the Jewish believers didn't understand this, that God is also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life without this understanding the church would have never left the Jewish people God was moving the church out of its comfort zone this is the mystery you guys remember in Ephesians this is the mystery that Paul would eventually write about to the church of Ephesus that God was bringing Jews and Gentiles into one body united by their faith in Jesus Christ and that truth it silenced them and then The only other option they had was to glorify God because God was granting salvation to the people that they had long despised. Chapter 15 it showed us before that these were not the end of the problems. Now at this point it wasn't a massive amount of people it wasn't a massive amount of Gentiles coming into the church but it soon would be it soon would be and that's going to stir up this issue over and over again. But the beauty of this text is that if there was ever going to be a time for the church to branch out and spread beyond the Jewish people, it was right now. Verse 19. Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists preaching the Lord Jesus. Notice this verse. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Luke is actually giving us a little bit of a time machine at this point in the text. He's taking us backwards. Notice the opening words of verse 19. Now, those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen. If you remember from our study of Acts, Acts chapter 7 was the death of Stephen. And then you remember chapter 8 where we read this. Now Saul was consenting to his death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church which was at Jerusalem, and they were all what? Scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles The suffering and persecution was the catalyst that moved men out of Jerusalem to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then further down in chapter 8, we read this, as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere, preaching the word Then chapter 8 recorded the spread of the gospel through Philip. Chapter 9 recorded the conversion of Saul. And with verse 19 of chapter 11, Luke is taking us right back. He's taking us back to these events of chapter 8. And he tells us here that the persecution, it led to the Jewish believers scattering. And they went far. They went as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. Phoenicia, along the coastal plain... Cyprus the big island about 100 miles off of the coast and Antioch up to the north about 300 miles north of Jerusalem this is how far the church spread but notice this again in verse 19 they were only preaching the gospel to the Jews but this soon would change recognize the timeline they scattered from jerusalem before the gospel had reached the gentiles they simply could not have known what would take place in the home of cornelius but if you were going to reach the gentiles with the gospel of christ antioch would absolutely be on your list of cities that you would want to start from it was the third largest city in the roman empire Between 500,000 and 800,000 people lived there. The only cities bigger at that time in the Roman Empire would be Rome itself in Alexandria, Egypt. It made sense for the Jews to flee there from Jerusalem because there was at least 70,000 Jews living there, maybe more. But if you were going to launch a worldwide effort to reach people for Christ, Antioch was certainly a good starting point. It had a major port there. The city had many of the Roman trade routes passing right through it. This was a great launching point for the gospel of Christ, but oh, it was a very, very dark and wicked city. It was considered by many to be a sewer of corruption. It was immoral. It was depraved. But here is where the church flourished. Now keep in mind, As these Jewish Christians scattered these coastal towns, they were all Hellenized already, meaning that the Greek language would have been dominant already there. And as these Hellenist or Greek-speaking Jews came through these towns, they witnessed for Christ to the Greek-speaking Jews already living in those cities. But key in on verse 20, because I believe with all my heart it takes us a step further. Men from Cyprus and men from Cyrene. Now, where was Cyrene? Well, it wasn't on our map. It was way down to the south and to the west, west of Alexandria, Egypt, down in Africa. And I get the idea from this text that these men from Cyprus and Cyrene, they fled the persecution of Jerusalem. They never went home, but instead they went north. They fled up to Antioch. But notice what we learn in verse 20. When these men, these Jewish Christians came to Antioch, they spoke to who? They spoke to the Hellenists. And some of the context of this chapter and some of the wording used gives me the idea that this is more than just Greek-speaking Jews here. I believe this is a reference to witnessing to Greek-speaking Gentiles. We're talking of Hellenist Jews reaching the Gentiles. These are the Jews that grew up in Gentile lands. They grew up speaking the language of the Gentiles. And it would have been much more natural for these Jews to reach the Gentiles than it would have been for the Jews back in Judea. But notice the message at the end of verse 20. They preached what? The Lord Jesus. When the focus is on the witness to the Jews in the book of Acts, we see the frequent mention of Jesus as the Messiah. But when the focus is on the witness to the Gentiles in the book of Acts, we see the frequent mention of Jesus as Lord Because at that time in history, Lord was a title that was understood by the Gentiles. It was a title that was used for their pagan gods. And it was in effect a way of demonstrating that, yes, Jesus is absolutely God. In verse 21, it builds off this. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. These are some beautiful verses. Here these people were separated from their homes but they continued to preach Christ they continued to walk by faith and the hand of the Lord was with them meaning what the power of God was with them many believed in Christ and there is a lesson here for us that the hand of the Lord is still with us when we become separated from one another when we are sent to new places in life You see, these Christians were scattered abroad, displaced, far away from home. They were sent to places that they didn't expect to go. You think they planned to go to Antioch? I don't think so. At first, they didn't see that persecution coming. They sent to places that God had prepared for them. But God often uses these tough times to accomplish his will. Maybe it's a new town, a new place to work a new place to live. Maybe it's just a new stage in life, or maybe it's just a difficult place in life. You know, we don't always get to choose where life is going to take us, but we can absolutely choose to remain faithful to Jesus Christ. Marguerite Higgins, she won a Pulitzer Prize during the Korean War for reporting what she had heard from an army sergeant. At this time in the Korean War, 15,000 of our soldiers had been dug in for weeks, facing more than 100,000 communist soldiers on the other side of the valley. For weeks, they'd been shooting back and forth across at this valley at each other. The temperatures had fallen below zero. So for weeks, they, our troops had been living on rations, unable to bathe, unable to get cleaned up. They just sat there day after day, cold and freezing, thinking that today may be the day that they die. Well, Higgins, she climbed to the top of the hill with her notebook and pencil to actually interview the soldiers. And she went from one to another to another until she came to this tough old army sergeant. And then she asked him this question. She said, if I were God and I could give you anything you wanted, what would you ask for? The old sergeant thought about it for a moment and then he replied, well, if you were God and you could give me anything that I could ask for, anything I wanted, here is what I would ask for. And then he said it twice. I would ask for tomorrow. I would ask for tomorrow. Tomorrow is not guaranteed for anyone here. Not in this life. Not in this world but we absolutely have a solid choice about remaining faithful to Jesus Christ every single moment that we are here, knowing knowing the truth of Acts 11, that the hand of the Lord, God's power, is with us. Even when we're sent to new places in life, the church at Antioch was learning this lesson, but the word of what had happened was filtering its way back to Jerusalem. Verse 22, Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas, good old Barnabas, I've been waiting to see him come on the scene, to go as far as Antioch. Now why does it say go as far? Well, it was 300 miles from Jerusalem up to Antioch. That's a hike. And when he came, look at these verses, and had seen the grace of God, he was glad, encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Most of the apostles were down in Jerusalem. It got their attention when the gospel of Christ began to spread. The church of Jerusalem heard of the church being established up at Antioch. They heard of the Gentiles now coming to faith in Christ, so they sent good old Barnabas to Antioch, and as I just said, 300 miles from Jerusalem to Antioch they couldn't have chosen a better man. They needed someone who wasn't a Judaizer. They needed someone who was not a legalist, someone who was mature in the faith, and Barnabas was absolutely the right man for the job. He saw the grace of God at work his heart rejoiced. And then what did he do? He encouraged the believers. Notice the wording that with the purpose of heart, they should continue with the Lord. This is not just some little flippant thing. This is the conscious decision to continue to be walking by faith and obedient to Jesus Christ. Why did he do this? Well, scripture says, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Now Barnabas, let's think about what he did and he didn't do. Barnabas didn't do this. He didn't give these brand new believers a list of do's and don'ts. He didn't walk up to him and say, here's your list. I want you to do this, but don't do this. He encouraged them instead to walk by faith, to grow in God's grace. Now Barnabas was from Cyprus. He spoke Greek scriptures paint quite the picture of this guy don't they a generous man a man dedicated to the truth a man full of or governed by the holy spirit a man full of faith no indication that barnabas was upset about gentiles coming to faith in christ instead barnabas rejoiced new life in christ is always worth celebrating new believers united with christ added to the lord but recognize that this was a point of crisis for the church. The church was growing beyond Jerusalem. Gentiles were now coming into the church, and they needed a man that could bridge the gap. But with the church growing so fast in Antioch, Barnabas needed some help. That's actually the meaning here in verses 24 and 25. It's not as clear in the English translations, but that's the actual meaning. He needed some help. And so he headed up the road another hundred miles to Tarsus to find Saul. Verse 25. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. The wording actually indicates in the Greek that Barnabas had a tough time finding Saul. He couldn't find him at first. Acts 9 had told us that Barnabas and Saul, they had met before this in Jerusalem. This was about 10 years before our text in chapter 11. So 10 years have gone by since we've last seen Saul with Barnabas in chapter 9. And I think Barnabas absolutely knew that Saul had been commissioned by God to minister to the Gentiles for such a time as this. In the New Testament, it doesn't tell us everything. Sometimes we'd like to know about what Saul was doing during those 10 years. We don't know everything, but I know this. I'm confident Saul preached Christ. Barnabas found him. Verse 26 teaches us And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Luke ends verse 26 by teaching us that it was at Antioch that the disciples were first called Christians. Now, if you remember, this is a title that came from outside the church of one who belongs to Christ. I believe that is not the worst put down, if you ask me. And personally, I would love it if the definition of a Christian went back to this, exactly this. It's not about belonging to a church. It's not about coming to church. And it's not about giving to church. It's about belonging to Jesus Christ. Amen? But think about what this meant for the early church up until this point. Because the Christian faith had just been seen as part of the Jewish faith. But for the first time, this was starting to change. Things were growing. Things were changing. This new church, it sustained itself, much like this church is sustaining itself, because people got involved, and they shared Christ, and they grew in their faith. They grew in the Lord. Now, not only Was this the first Gentile church strong in numbers? They were strong in their witness. They were strong in their teaching of the word of God. But our last four verses teach us that they were strong in their love for their brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. With verse 27, we read that prophets had come from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of these prophets was a man named Agabus. Now we're going to see him again in chapter 21. When he prophesied Paul's arrest in Jerusalem... The Hebrew people, they believed that prophecy had ceased, the 400 silent years, but that it would return when the Messiah came, which is just what happened, right? When John the Baptist came, Paul wrote about this to the church of Corinth when he said, and God has appointed these in the church, what? First apostles, second prophets, third teachers ephesians 2 teaches that the foundation for the church was laid by the apostles and the prophets but they both eventually moved off the scene because hear me on this once the foundation is laid there's no more need for another foundation and in the new testament prophecy was primarily a spoken word for the direction for the edification of the body of christ now in this case this prophecy was the actual foretelling of an event And in verse 28, we read that Agabus stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world. Look at the side note that Luke puts for us at the end of verse 28, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Now Claudius was the Roman emperor from 41 to 54 AD. And Luke testifies that indeed this famine, this famine happened exactly as the spirit of God had revealed. In the reign of Claudius, history bears this out. The crop failures in the Roman empire kept coming one after another. In Judea, in Rome, in Egypt, and down in Greece. Many people unable to buy what little food was available. It hit Judea the hardest in 46 AD, putting the events of chapter 11 shortly before this famine. So what I'm telling you is this. In the book of Acts, it covers a span of about 30 years. In Acts 11, it finds us at about the midway point. Church of Antioch was started a little more than 15 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But watch the wording of verse 29, how the church responded, keeping in mind that this church was now made up of both Jews and Gentiles, reaching out to their Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ. Now they could not stop the famine, but they could help send help to those in need. Then the disciples, it says, each, notice that word, not just a handful of people in the church giving, each believer, according to their ability, gave what they could to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. Those that had more gave more. Those that had little gave what they could, but the entire body of Christ had the responsibility, took on the responsibility of giving to help their brothers and sisters in Christ in the Lord. And then chapter 11, it ends with Barnabas and Saul entrusted with the task, the responsibility of bringing this offering to others, which we learn in chapter 12, their destination was the church at Jerusalem. A disease known as elephantiasis continues to be a terrible scourge in much of the world, the tropical countries. reading about this this past week you don't think that many people have it when you start having a pity party about your problems remember people that suffer from this there's about 130 million people worldwide that suffer from this even today the skin of the diseased person becomes thick it becomes hard it cracks like an elephant's hide where the title of the name of it comes from The part infected, it swells, it just becomes enormous in size. Some of the victims of the disease have lower legs that get to be about 12 to 15 inches in diameter. Donald Barnhouse, he used to tell the story of one poor man who suffered from this disease in Africa. This man, he heard the gospel of Christ, he became a believer, he became a Christian, and was consumed with telling people the the good news of how Jesus came to die for our sins. He was determined that Every person in his African village should hear the good news of salvation, and even though it was extremely difficult for him to walk on his oversized legs, he thought nothing of the pain, and he struggled from hut to hut, sharing the gospel of Christ. At the end of several months, he had visited every hut in his village, and then he decided he would go further. He started to take the gospel to a village about two miles away each day in great amounts of pain he would walk two miles to the village then go from hut to hut to hut sharing Christ and then return two miles to his own hut before sundown when he had visited every hut in that village he then had a new idea he decided he would take the gospel of Christ to a village 12 miles away he was told not to but day after day the burden kind of festered on him it kind of grew it became something that he he knew he had to do One day, his family told the missionary doctor in their village that the man was missing. He had slipped out before dawn, and he had not returned for the evening, so they were concerned. Step after weary step, the afflicted man, he dragged his leathery legs and gigantic feet along the path that led to this village 12 miles away, getting there after noon. He was offered food in this village, but he refused until he completed his mission. His feet were swollen, bruised. They were bleeding up and down to every single hut he went, telling them that the God of creation had sent his son to die for their sins. How the Lord Jesus had been raised from the dead. And now in Christ, this man testified of the joy and the peace that he had in his own life. Well, finally, he started his long journey back to his village. He was absolutely in no condition to travel, but he realized it much too late. It was already pitch dark on the cold path through the jungle it was too dangerous to stop so by sheer force sheer will he kept going on and on trudging his way step after painful step and after midnight a noise awoke the missionary doctor and there on his front porch was this man his legs his stumps they were wounded they were bleeding And the doctor, the missionary doctor that was there and those with him, they lifted the unconscious man onto one of the hospital beds and seldom had they seen such a frightful sight as those bleeding feet that had come back from such an errand of love and mercy. You see, it was the love of Christ that compelled this man. And unashamedly, the doctor ministered to those feet. He said his tears were falling into the ointment he dressed the bloody stumps with. And the doctor ended by saying this, he said, in all my life, I do not know when my heart was more drawn out to another Christian believer. All I could think of was the verse in the word of God. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Here was a man who preached the word of God, at great personal sacrifice with no formal training in ministry. Having only known Christ as Savior a very short time, I believe this man understood the words of the Apostle Paul when Paul said, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Here's what I'm saying to you today. If you want to make a difference in this world, it starts here. It starts with sharing Christ. It starts with the love of Christ compelling us, and it starts with us living in love towards the brethren. I see men in Acts 11 that made a difference. Peter made a difference, didn't he? The brothers that scattered throughout Judea and Samaria sharing Christ as they fled their own persecution, they made an impact. And Barnabas, Barnabas made a difference. And I believe we can make the same type of difference walking by faith, knowing that the hand of God is upon us as we live to serve Him.
0: Return to the Word Ministries is committed to teaching the full counsel of God's Word and the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more about our ministry, please visit Return to the Word.com. Return to the Word. Is a faith ministry. This means we freely distribute the teaching of the Word of God over the air and online. We do this without charge. If you feel led to support the ministry with a donation to help cover these costs, you may do so on our website, to the Word.com. or by mailing a donation to Return To The Word PO Box eight seven nine two five nine Wasilla Alaska nine nine six eight seven. Thanks for listening, and we. Pray that the Word of God will be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Join us next time for another edition of Return to the Word.